we're going slowly through the book of Amos. And we're not going to take a lot of time this morning um, in Amos. I want to just leave you with a challenge this morning. And that is <clears throat> to be someone who speaks the truth. And speaking the truth, even when it's difficult. You know, I somebody gave me a book when I was teaching it at Capstone, one of my students, and it was a title of it, Are You a People Pleaser? And I thought, are they insinuating something about me? <laughs> but I think there's something in all of us that um, avoids conflict and avoids being controversial, and we like to be liked, but as a Christian, that's not always possible. In fact, sometimes if you're living the life of Christ, you'll be disliked, and they disliked Jesus, and Jesus said, if they've disliked me, they're going to dislike my followers, and a disciple is not above his teacher, and if they've persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. And Amos had a ministry that was very, very unpopular. And he addressed the heart and the core of a nation that was wayward from God. And that's a hard calling, a hard ministry. But there were certain things about Amos's character that kept him on track. And I think the same things that can help you and I when we face situations where we're fearful or we're made uncomfortable because of our faith, and yet we know we need to speak the truth. Uh, there's a second way we can look at this passage, and that is, how do I receive truth? Um, I don't always like giving the truth when it's controversial, but I'll be honest with you, I'm not one of the best receivers of truth either. I don't like being corrected. I don't like people pointing out to me where I'm wrong, especially doctrinally. You know, I, I feel like I've got all my ducks in a row, and I, I, I've studied this, and, and I don't need to be corrected. Or when my behavior's wrong and someone points it out to me, I, I don't always receive that well. And so there's two ways that we can look at this passage. Is one is, are we truth givers? And secondly, are we truth receivers? Are we willing to receive truth, to be humble and to accept, okay, Lord, there's some things that I need to do differently. There's some things that I need to look at this passage maybe in a different point of view. Um, and so we can look at this passage in, in several different ways. And what prompted all of this was his sermon, Amos's message on the plumb line. He saw the Lord standing on the wall, and the Lord had constructed this wall. And the Lord had constructed it using a plumb line or using a level. And so the law was the the, the wall was was perfect. It was completely erect. And then he gave Amos the charge to take this plumb line of God's word to the nation of Israel. And so the final standard for all of us is God's word, the Bible. It's not how do I feel about it or 
what is my opinion, but what does God's word explicitly say? And so Amos was showed this plumb line, and the Lord says, I'm going to remove all the high places. All the high places of Israel, they don't fit in the plumb line of God's word. God had instructed the children of Israel to go into the land and to demolish all of the high places. They were the, the pagan worship sites where they worshiped the stars of heaven, the moon, all the astronomical rotations of the, the sun and, and so forth. And, and God said, I want these obliterated. And, and so Amos was taking the plumb line of God's word and saying, these need to be removed. And then God said, I'm going to take the sanctuaries and they will be laid waste. And the sanctuaries, the Hebrew word for sanctuary is kodosh, or a holy place. And Israel was not to have multiple sanctuaries. They were to have one holy place for worship. And God was going to designate that place. And it was the city of Jerusalem. And in the city of Jerusalem, there was only one place where you brought your sacrifices, and that was to the temple. And there was only one person who could present those sacrifices, and that was the priest. And there was the high priest, it was his job on the day of Yom Kippur, the day of covering, the day of atonement, to go into the Holy of Holies, to the sanctuary, that holy place, with the blood of a lamb. And God, that was his plumb line. That was the measuring line for holiness and for true worship. Telling people that there was going to be a lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. There would be one final sacrifice. And the veil in the temple that separated the sanctuary from the holy of holies would one day be ripped in half. And there would be a high priest who could bring you into the very presence of God. And so that was the plumb line. And when Amos preached that message, Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, took issue with that. And the same is true today. People have all sorts of religious feelings. They have ways that they have been told to, to approach God. And, and there's this saying that I, I hear often when you start sharing the biblical God is people will say, well, my God is a God of love. My, my God is a God who, who overlooks those things. Well, my God doesn't judge people. And without knowing it, they've really done idolatry. Because they have created their God. They've created their own God. And the God of the Bible, the God of the plumb line, the true God, makes them uncomfortable. And so it's not easy to tell the truth. It's not easy to speak the truth because in so doing, we are going to make people feel a little bit uncomfortable. And we're going to challenge the very core of who they are because what we worship really is the core of who we are. And so when Amaziah 
hears this message. He is the priest of Bethel. And so he takes it very, very personal. And we've got to remind ourselves when we are speaking the truth, it's nothing personal that we're um, attacking, but we're trying to lovingly share with people the need for Christ. And Amaziah, he is the priest of Bethel. So Bethel wasn't even supposed to be a place for worship. Bethel and Dan had became a shrine for Baal. They had created calves, golden calves, and they said, these are the gods that have brought us out of Egypt. The Levitical priesthood was the priesthood that God had ordained through the line of Levi and then his son Aaron and the descendants of Aaron. But Jeroboam I, he decided to have his own places of worship his own priest, his own festival days, his own sacrifices. So these were an affront to the true God. And so Jeroboam, the king, is also feeling slighted here. And so Amaziah says, Amos has conspired against us. He's made this plot and he is attacking our personal place of worship. And then he says, further, he says, he's conspired against us in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear it. The word to bear has the idea of containing. His words are going way too far, in other words. He's getting too fanatical about his religion. Another idea of that word to bear, it means to sustain something. And it means the idea of a, like a piece of land that's only able to sustain so many flocks of sheep. And so what Amaziah is saying, he says, it, we can't contain it. It's, it's gone out of control. It's, it's fanatical. And that's what you will be accused of if you believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. You will be labeled an extremist. The world today loves pluralism, inclusiveness, non-offensiveness. And so the challenge for you and I as truth bearers is to understand that God is inclusive, but he's exclusive in the way that we come to him. We have a holy God. We have a just God. And he is going to appoint a day of reckoning. And really, this is what the plumb line message was all about. Here is a righteous standard and so we've got two options. One, I can look at the righteous standard of God's word and I can rationalize it and I can justify my behavior. Or I can ask for the righteousness of Jesus. And Amaziah wasn't ready to do that because there was too personal uh, at stake for him. So he says the, the land is not able to bear it. The third 
meaning of that word to bear means to endure it. It's really cutting too close to the heart. Now, when you and I have things set against us falsely, because Amaziah was not in a conspiracy. Amaziah was not preaching words that were outlandish. They were simple Bible truth that the nation of Israel should have accepted. And they could endure it if they would submit to the teachings of Christ. And so we have a promise in the gospel, Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, that when we are persecuted for righteousness' sake, and when all manner of evil is set against us falsely, we are to rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. I'm sure Amos was sustained by the promise that God is going to be pleased because I am preaching his word regardless of trying to please people. Now, this is what Amaziah accuses Amos of saying. Jeroboam shall die by the sword. Now, he did say that. He says in verse 9, I will rise with the sword against the house of Jeroboam. So that part was true. And Israel shall surely led, be led away captive from her own land. This is not something we want to hear. Now, the Apostle Paul always seemed to be finding himself in a position where he had to defend himself. And one of the churches that knew him better than any other church was the church of Galatia. And when he was there, they understood the gospel clearly, that Jesus Christ died for your sin. Jesus Christ rose again to give you victory over sin, and that by believing in him and believing in him alone is salvation. Don't you add anything to that. Faith is so powerful that faith has the power to change your life. When you have faith in Jesus, a miracle takes place, a literal miracle. You are born from above. You are regenerated by the Holy Spirit. You don't need a set of laws. You don't need a set of religion, traditions, ceremonies. And right after he left that church, a group came from the mother church in Jerusalem who were from James. And they got up there and they said, no, 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 that's not the gospel. The gospel is Jesus plus all these other things. And Paul was willing to speak the truth. And the reason he was willing to speak the truth is because without the truth, everything is lost. The truth of the gospel is so vital. And so he wrote them, and one of the verses that convicts me more than any other verse perhaps in the New Testament is Galatians 1.10. Do I seek to persuade men or God. The word persuade, the Greek word is pytho, and it means to conciliate or to win over to your favor. And Paul's only motive was to seek the approval of God. 
He says, or do I try to please man? I'm not trying to win the favor of man. I'm only trying to please God. For if I please men, I am no longer the bond servant of Jesus Christ. Later on in that same letter, in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 18, Paul said, have I become your enemy because I'm telling you the truth? I was meditating on the things that people have said to me this week that I took offense to. But later on, I realized that they were telling me the truth. They were not my enemy. They were actually my best friend. A friend will be willing to tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. And Amos was no conspirator. He wanted what was best for the nation of Israel. And yet he was spoken against falsely, made accusations that were not true. And you and I can have that same confidence. We can rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is our reward in heaven. Now that doesn't mean that God wants us to be contentious or unnecessarily confronting or just to be mean-spirited. We should be just the opposite. And Amos was that kind of man. And how do we know that? We know that from chapter 7, the first few verses, where God showed Amos locusts that were going to destroy his people. And the locusts were going to come after the king's mowing. In other words, it was going to obliterate all the people of the land. And what did Amos do? Amos didn't say, Lord, get them. Just annihilate them. Wipe them out. They've got their calf worship. They've got priests who aren't even priests. They've got their worship days that aren't even worship days. Lord, you bring the judgment. Bring those locusts. No. Amos said, Lord. Oh, Lord, forgive. Lord, look at Israel. They are small. They won't be able to stand. And the Lord relented. And then Amos was seen, shown the fire, and the fire consumes. It consumed everything, even the territory. And that word territory even means the land of inheritance, that special land that was allotted to Israel. The judgment is going to be so bad. And Amos again says, oh, Lord, please forgive. So Amos wasn't a man who came up there with intentions just to aggravate, to taunt. The worst things, that, you know, I, I hate these videos that, that, that are posted on YouTube. And there was a man that, man that I just watched yesterday, and he was standing in front of a church with his big old placard, and he was hurling out truth, but he was doing it in such an insulting way that no one listened. And you and I already live in a culture where they've got a, uh, a, a persecution complex, I guess you might say, because the LDS people have been persecuted. They traveled all the way to Utah to escape persecution. And the last thing they need is someone with a devil suit on, standing out in front of their temples, saying you're going to either burn if you don't turn. 
there's a method of reaching people. And Amos knew it was compassion. It's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 22 through 23 says, The servant of the Lord ought not to strive. The word to strive means to be quarrelsome, but be gentle, able to teach in meekness, instructing those who are in opposition, who oppose themselves. Lest peradventure, or perhaps God may grant them. The word grant doesn't mean to give them the gift. It means to give them the opportunity. You, you do a word study and you'll see that. God has granted repentance to Israel. doesn't mean that everybody's going to get saved. He's giving them the opportunity. When Peter went to the Gentiles, he says, God has granted repentance to the Gentiles. So people misinterpret that verse, misapply that verse. The application and the right understanding of 2 Timothy 2, 22-23 is that God will then give them that opportunity to hear and they will be able to hear it in a way that agrees with them and they can understand the gospel if you will do it in a meek and gentle and kind and instructive and teaching way. And so this is the way that Amos came. And look what he is told here in verse 12. Then Amos, Amaziah said to Amos, he said, white man, go home, <laughs> pretty much. He put this on his mailbox, go, you seer. Now, that was a term for a prophet, but it was used many, many generations earlier, a seer, one who saw visions. By this time, knowing this culturally, by 740 B.C., the word seer had become out of vogue. It wasn't used anymore, and so it was an archaic word used in this passage as a slander. Oh, you guy who's a visionary, you idealist, you think everybody should fit along with your plumb line, the word of God. Go home, you seer. Flee to the land of Judah. And then what does he says? He says, eat your bread there and prophesy there. The word eat your bread implies that Amos was nothing but one of these preachers who made a living and a livelihood out of proclaiming messages. A prosperity teacher. You go home and you get your wealth, you get your income, you go back home and you find and you eat your bread there. Amos could care less about who buttered his bread because he knew it was the Lord. He knew that the Lord was his provider. So his motives were understood, misunderstood. He was told to go home. And then he was told again, never again prophesy at Bethel. Now, why was that so? For it is the king's sanctuary. You don't belong here. We've got our methods and we've got our way of doing things here. It is his royal residence. Now, how do we stand when we feel opposed and we feel like, mm, well, maybe I shouldn't preach the gospel to that person. Maybe I shouldn't share my faith with that neighbor. What, what is it that, that kept Amos going that will keep you and I going? Verse 14, Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, 
nor was I the son of a prophet. Again, if we go back in the, the culture of Israel, the sons of the prophet, they were a group of men that lived together and they studied together and they began with the ministry of Elijah. And they had the sons of the prophets. And the ministry under Elijah and Elisha became so prominent that they had to build bigger buildings, divinity schools, Bible schools, for these men who were being trained as the sons of the prophets. And Amos's response was, I was no prophet. I wasn't the son of a prophet. In other words, I don't have all of the credentials I don't have all the academic accolades, and those things aren't important. Who did Jesus go out and pick to transform the world? He picked fishermen. He picked tax collectors. He picked Roman zealots who, or I mean Jewish zealots who wanted to throw over the Roman Empire. They were a hodgepodge group. It's not our credentials. It's not having the right academic know-how. None of that. When you and I are sharing the truth, it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And so we don't need to be fearful. I was no prophet. I was not the sons of a prophet. I was a commoner. I was a sheep breeder and a tender of sycamore fruit. And here's the beauty. God takes normal, average, run-of-the-mill folks, and he empowers us with the word of God, not with the logic or the preaching of man's wisdom, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, because then their faith stands in the power and the wisdom of man. But he says, I preach nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified so that your faith doesn't rest in my preaching ability or my background, my education, but your new life is because of the power of the cross. That is where people need to come to. They need to come to Jesus. Not somebody with a title, not someone with a megachurch. Not with somebody with a megaphone either. <laughs> then the Lord took me as I followed the flock, and the Lord said to me, notice twice the Lord. The Lord said, go prophesy to my people Israel. Now therefore hear the word of the Lord. And you say, do not prophesy against Israel. Let me just kind of summarize what, what we've gone through this morning so far. Number one, truth is not always welcome. Be ready for that. Everyone has some sort of religious system that they hold to. Amaziah was no different. Amos, however, was compassionate, but he still used the plumb line of God's word as his perfect ruler. Truth is more important than popularity. Truth can be controversial. Truth challenges a person's interests, his investments, and his very identity. Realize that. 
and also realize that it takes time for truth to settle in to your listeners' ears. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who throws seed on the ground and the next day he comes back and harvests. No, that's not what it says, is it? First the blade, then the ear of grain, then the full harvest, and then he puts forth the sickle because that's the way the kingdom of heaven takes on a change. You think about your own life. When somebody confronts you with truth that you have never believed or never heard before, it takes a while for it to settle in, doesn't it? It takes a while for you to go back and, and look at your own arguments and to see if they're, they, they can be substantiated. So truth challenges us of our very identity. Truth can be hard to absorb. That's exactly what Amaziah said. We can't, we can't endure it, so it is slow to absorb. Truth is not restricted to an education, a geographical location. We won't be popular, but that's not what's important. Make it your goal to please God and to fear Him only. Convictions must be guided by truth. Amos's convictions, they were guided by the truth of God. Convictions are not based on personal preferences or opinions. Amos didn't give his opinion. He had a plumb line, God's word. Amos had a conviction when he was told to go and flee. Amos had a conviction when he gets down to verse 16. Now, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. No formal education or training or personal biases are needed. Convictions are based on God's word and his calling on your life. God's word gives us backbone. When he was told to go and flee, what gave him the confidence to stay? What gave him the confidence to preach? It was the Bible. It was God's word that gave him the strength that he needed to stay there in northern kingdom to preach. So God's word gave him backbone. The word Yahweh or the word Lord is used twice in verse 15. The Lord took me. The Lord said to me, God's word is not subjective. It never changes. A changed life is the evidence of real conviction. You look at his life. He wasn't a picker of sycamore fruit any longer, was he? He wasn't a sheep herder any longer. His life had changed because he had deep, settled convictions. The same should be true for you and I. We should be able to look at our life and say, I'm not the same person that I used to be. My life is now different because I have settled convictions. Truth needs to be unleashed. And it was kind of ugly here what he had to say. But to 
not say it, one, he would have been a hypocrite, it would have been unloving, and he would have been accountable for what he didn't say. So verse 17 is kind of unpleasant, very unpleasant as a matter of fact. Therefore, thus says the Lord, your wife shall be a harlot in the city. Your sons and your daughters shall fall by the sword. Your land shall be divided by a surveyor's line. You shall die in a defiled land, and Israel shall be led away captive from its own land. I think this is Israel's last chance. Chapter 7, he prays. He's seen two visions. In two of those visions, God relented. The third vision of the plumb line. This is it. It's, it's judgment time. Only by warning is there any possibility whatsoever for people to come to Christ. By only sharing the truth will they ever see themselves as sinners in need of a Savior. Nothing that is profitable or needful, Paul said, would I hold back. When he called the Ephesian elders together, he'd started a church there. He wanted to see the pastoral staff, the eldership, one last time. And this is what he said. I have kept nothing back that was profitable. Everything that I said you needed to hear, I proclaimed it to you and I taught you publicly and house to house. I testified to Jews and to Greeks. And here's the essence of the message that we need to hear today. And this is the essence of the message that we need to share with people. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's keep it really, really simple, okay? I don't like things that are complicated. I was talking with a sister in Christ today who's reading a book that I'd given her on hermen hermeneutics. I don't even like the word hermeneutics. You can't hardly say it. Just call it Bible interpretation, okay? But the, what I like about the book is it's just simple. What did the author say? And what did the author mean? Boy, we all got hermeneutics today, didn't we? Now, what does it mean to have repentance toward God? The word repentance, meta, another, noia, to think. I need to think a different way toward God. Repentance isn't this long pledge, this list of all the things that you have to do in order to get saved. I change my mind toward God. God is a holy, just God. He is a God of love, but he's also a God that I have offended by my sin. And I change my mind. I don't see myself as a person who can outdo my good works that will somehow offset my bad works. I changed my mind about that and said, you know what, God, I don't have any good works. My good works are filthy rags. What good thing must I do to have eternal life? That was the rich young ruler, and he needed to change his mind. Rich young ruler, you can't do anything because you are trusting in your riches, and Jesus wants us to trust in him. Repentance toward God. 
okay, God, I'm a sinner. I got that part. I think all of us realize it deep down in our hearts. We just need somebody to kind of lay it out for us. We've all lied. We've all coveted. We've all dissipated mom and dad, right? Okay, that's just three out of the ten. Do we need to keep going? No, that's good enough. We need to repent. Okay, if I, if I can't save myself, what do I need to do? I need to put my faith in somebody else who can save me. I put my faith in Jesus because Jesus lived a perfect life, and he is my substitute, and he's your substitute. And if you put your faith on him, God won't see your sin. He'll see Jesus' righteousness. That's how simple salvation is. And Paul says, I kept nothing back. I gave it to you. I, I like to give my, uh, my, uh, an attempt at poetry every now and then. And, I, and I'm no poet. And I'm not going to give the rest of that corny line. <laughs> but I, I tried to give a little poem this week to finish up this teaching. You are no friend who withholds hard truth, but to speak in love is the ultimate proof. If we seek to please people and never to offend, the truth is sacrificed at the price of your friend. And the third line, I don't think, came out on my notes. Okay, it's on another note. I'd rather be told my choices are wrong than to walk the broad path and follow the throng. So point me in the path that is narrow and true where I'm walking in the light with only a few. So may that be our goal this week. Find someone, something simple that you can start sharing the truth. And, you know, I'll confess with you, I'm not any different from the rest of y'all. I, I, I have trouble giving the gospel out to people. You know, Rick will tell you the same thing. People say, oh, Rick, it's easy for you. And Rick will say, no. You know, Brother Ron, I know you, you go down on 25th Street and you hand stuff people. And, and every time you go down there, you probably get butterflies in your stomach. If you're honest. And, and, and that's a good thing because we don't want to trust in ourselves. But, you know, this week uh, I, I blew it. I know I did. But I had a, had a track or, or the Gospel of John in my pickup truck. And, uh, and I saw this person walking down the road just going for a walk. I thought, what a perfect opportunity. And, and I kind of did it on purpose. I kind of fumbled around. Where, where did I put that thing? Where, where is it at? I knew where it was. It was in the door. And I... And by the time I found it, they were way down the road, and I just left it. I didn't go down, and you know what's been haunting me? It's been bothering me. And we all wonder, what, what if they don't want it? Here's something you need to th always remember, and i got to remind myself this. If someone takes a track... If someone listens to the gospel, that's a win. If someone takes it and says, I don't want that, get out of here, that's a win. Yeah. It's always a win. 
When people don't accept it, rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward. Amos didn't go up to northern Israel, and Amos didn't lose. It was a win. God's word never returns void. Sometimes it goes out for judgment, and sometimes it goes out for those who are ready and willing to hear it. That's not for us to decide. That's the Lord's work. So I hope I've encouraged you this week. Speak the truth even when it's hard. And secondly, receive the truth even when it cuts you a little bit because you'll be better off in the long run. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for this passage. Thank you for Amos. Thank you for his ministry. Thank you for the example that he is to all of us today, Lord. Remind us, God, that none of us were prophets. None of us were the sons of the prophets. God, we all were doing our own thing. And then one day you met us. You changed us. You put a message in our mouth. And you gave us the boldness to share it. We pray this in Jesus' name.